How's that? Is that enough? You want more? I can make more stuff up. No, that's cool. You can make it up. <laughs> oh, really? I can make up a lot of stuff if you want me to. Um, but I'm also Batman. <laughs> that's right. No, you did, you would never admit that. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. I would tell you I'm a millionaire philanthropist and I have a youthful ward. <laughs> Robin. Yeah, he's got, and uh, you've got a nice, um, what do you call it? Like assistant butler with, with a great British accent as well, haven't you? That's right, exactly. Mm. And a cave. I do have a cave. That that part I've got covered. So yeah. cave, cave part I have. So you, you actually have a cave. What's what was your- that joke? Hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin. How are you? Lived through the week, did you? Because it was a crazy week. One, I, I feel like we're just enduring it. So, one more once, I had a conversation with my friend Mark McElhaney, who I, I just I always forget to ask him to be on the. I need to ask him, and he was talking about our activity. What do they call it? Activity metabolism is what he called it, and he said that during the the quarantine, the COVID quarantine, that he noticed his activity metabolism has slowed down. I would. I thought I was getting lazy, but he said it. It takes longer to do things, and you have less ability to do things, uh, as many things as you once did, because of this reduction in the activity metabolism. And then he offered good news. At least I think this is good news. I don't know if it is or not. That it, it rebuilds. Now some of you have not slowed down a bit, not a bit, but others of us, we had a pretty dramatic screech to a halt in what we were doing, and, and we've dealt with that. And what's weird to me about this whole, well, this whole situation is just strange as crap, but what's weird to me is how both sides of this continuum coexist. The, the whole essential workers, non-essential workers, that, all that stuff, that we've really created this very interesting notion of difference, and and we're seeing that. And that's, that's, a, that's a part of, I think, it all kind of comes around to this notion of, of justice and restorative justice and just cultures. We've talked about this for years. You're now living in the midst of the quintessential, if I may use that word, example of, of what all this looks like. And that is super interesting. Which leads me to the podcast for today. So first of all, I hope you're doing well and you're healthy and keeping your nose covered, if I may uh, borrow that. Uh, phrase from the great Dr. Frankfurt um, and that everything's, you know, starting to become more and more manageable. Maybe that's a good way to say that. I don't believe it'll be normal, but I don't think that matters to us anymore because I think our normal set point is reset. We, we've rechanged. Hence the whole conversation about activity uh, me- metabolism, which sounds really, uh, it seems like that'd be a, Good research paper right there. You could write that baby and get, get away with it. The new world in which we're dealing with is, um, is interesting. And, and that's, uh, that's kind of what today's podcast is. So I don't know if you guys know James McPherson. Do you know him? He's got a podcast called Rebranding Safety. And uh, he is very fun. He's just fun. I mean, he's a fun guy. And he has this amazing, like the best, almost the quintessential, Ricky Gervais British accent. I mean, that it's kind of that 
that irreverent, funny. It's just he's he's a joy in which to listen, and that part is very entertaining. That is today's podcast. And so James called and uh, asked if I would be on his podcast, and you know the deal. If I'm on your podcast, then I'm going to take a recording and put it on my podcast, and sure enough, that's what happened. So I don't even know if, if uh, our podcast is out yet because I haven't really paid attention to anything. But if I were to pay attention, I'd say it's probably out. I'm guessing it's probably out. If not, you're going to get kind of a behind-the-scenes look at what James and I talked about, which is very interesting because James is on this journey just like all of us, and he is in a place right now where he's he's developmentally really thinking about the notion of how we treat workers. And and that becomes a, a big part of our conversation. He uses a word that becomes uh, very much a trigger as we progress through the podcast. So so we'll, we'll see what you think. Listen carefully. This is James McPherson. And, uh, and we're going to talk today about safety and how this all kind of works out. So sit back and relax. Thanks for listening. If you're new... This is a very interesting one to jump off the uh, diving board and into the podcast pool on. But you know what? I'm glad you're here. So here's James. Hold on. No, I live in a mud house in Santa Fe, New Mexico. What's your story? What, what got you? What's your background? What's my story? I'll probably come from that technical background that, that you say you didn't come from, really. I um... like like industrial hygiene that side? Uh, no, I, I was just a normal safety professional. I still am, if I'm honest. Um, I've been doing safety for about, I think it'd be coming up to like eight and a half, maybe nine years now. Um, I started off in manufacturing um, and then gone over, dabbled a bit in managing housing and healthcare and just your normal generalist safety professional, if I'm honest. Um, before that, nothing but a complete layabout a teenager didn't really do anything uh i thought i'll be a, I'll, i wanted to go work in theater or i wanted to be a journalist that was my background and uh, there were the two things i wanted to do and uh i've realized that i probably wasn't going to be a very good journalist because i have terrible english uh ironically and um and yeah so i went to um I went over to, to be an electrician, trained to be an electrician during the recession. That was a bad idea. Um, and uh, and then from there, nothing. And I was a chef for like three years. And then I was like, what am I going to do? And just got given a job in, in a quality environment and health and safety assistant. And from there, here we are, eight to nine years boom, later. Bang, boom. Look at in there and you have a whole career. And that's it. Yeah, boom. That's it. Now, now we've got a bloody podcast and all I do is talk about safety. <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? Isn't it weird how that happens? <laughs> Takes over your life, yeah. T- t- wanna... what, 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 led you, what led you to the new stuff, to the new view stuff? Well, to, to be honest... It sounds I... like you have a good background in orthodox, sort of classic safety, industrial mm. safety. Yeah, I, I was when I started, I was definitely that compliance-based kind of person, that... that you 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 t- traditional negative uh kind of safety person you you would go out and bust people yeah i was that kind of oh, person you you're, you're a sucky person i was the problem in the in the beginning like i was the i was the the traditional safety one what we talk about in that when we crit when we're critical about these safety one people i was the root cause of that like, not the root cause but i was one of the symptoms of that and uh and then I was just playing around with it and realized that 
do you know what most of this stuff or the most of the kind of progress that I was getting from people when we were talking about safety was just from having a really good relationship with people and realize, well, hang on a minute, maybe there's a little bit more psychology to this. And, and then as we go and grew, and then there was a couple of stuff, I read a couple of like Andrew Shaman's work and he probably opened my eyes a little bit to it. And then all of a sudden started the podcast. Cause I thought there's no one out there talking about this stuff. And we started the podcast and really all, all of a sudden was just like, here's all the stuff here's and i've read a bit of sydney decker before i'd seen a, a few bits of your stuff online and and that but not really got into that new view that safety world that safety two, safety differently whatever you want to call it world and then opened the yeah started the podcast and i think i've had a baptism of fire over the last year which has just been amazing um so for me it's like just showing other safety professionals that there is a there is a new another world out here that you can learn from. Wow. So you're only into the, the new view journey or whatever. No one really knows what to call it. Just in case you're wondering, um, you've only <laughs> been in it like a year. Uh, I, I would say I dabbled in it probably just before I started, probably about a year before I started a podcast. So coming up to about three years now, I'm, I'm a baby in it, mate. I'm fresh in it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. that's exciting kind of though, because there's all this really new stuff to learn. I mean, you I'm, can, you can read stuff and it still probably blows your mind and you're like, whoa, that's crazy good. Yeah, some of it, like, I'm, I'm a bit, like, it's quite interesting because I'm, I'm very fascinated by this safety one safety versus safety two debate we have in the, in the industry because being so fresh into it, I, I'm sitting there like, well, there's a lot of similarities in both sides. And if maybe if you just stop bickering, we might be able to actually get somewhere with this. Um, but, you know, I've... I've followed so a lot what, do you see the main, what do you see as the main difference? Let me ask that question between, uh, between classic sort of uh, classic organizational safety, industrial yeah. safety, manufacturing safety, and this kind of new view, which is more systems resilience based. What do you see as the difference? You know, how, that'll how, help. how I look at it, Todd is, is, is good safety and bad safety. It is how I've described it. I think that's, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Really? Cause I think good and bad lays, kind of value statements on it. And there are times when compliance matters. And I mean, we could have this discussion. I would encourage you to, to peel this banana. The difference between the traditional view and the more new view is the way they view the workforce. So the traditional view sees the workforce as the problem to be fixed. Now, I'm always worried when I say that, that sounds like I'm saying they're bad people. What I'm saying, that's not true. What I'm saying is that the program is directed at fixing the worker. Mm-hmm. So you have behavioral-based observations, you have coaching and counseling, mm-hmm. you have behavioral management, you have zero, you have really strong compliance to rules, regulations, policies, and procedures. Those, at their fundamental level, those programs believe if the worker were safer, smarter, faster, quicker, cared more, then the company would be safer. But the new view, interestingly enough, doesn't see the worker as the problem to be fixed, but actually sees the worker as the solution to be harnessed, to be, to be tapped, to be talked to. Mm-hmm. So the worker's not the problem. The worker becomes the problem solver. And that difference, I think, is really the fundamental difference between the philosophical shift from the old view to the new view. I don't think one's bad and one's good. I think it was a maturation curve. 
One brought us to a point where it no longer was able to. There's only so much you can do to ask a worker to care more. Well, that's offensive anyway. Mm. Because asking a worker to try harder to be safer, try hard to not have an accident, that assumes prima facie on its surface that the worker has accidents because they want to have accidents. Well, that's just crazy talk. I mean, nobody wants to have an accident. It's a big pain in the butt. I mean, you got to do investigations and management's talks to you and you know there's no good side to that this shift in philosophy really has changed the way we direct safety so safety is not an outcome it's really a capacity and that's that's the big difference does that help i think it does i i could i always come back to the fit i always think that i, I don't think the um if I look at UK legislation, which is where my, all my experience comes from, I don't think we was ever intended to view the worker as a problem. I wholeheartedly agree with everything you've just said, but what, oh, it, how, what I think we... The intent, the intent was not that the worker was bad. The intent was is that the way you make safety better is you make workers safer. But in fact, what we know is that's not true. You would not fly on a plane. Well, actually, we're not flying on planes anyway. But if we were flying on planes, you would not fly on a plane that solely relied on the pilot being good. Mm. I mean, you just wouldn't, right? You want a secondary hydraulic system. You want a secondary radio. Mm. You want a co-pilot. You want you know, all those things. We make systems better by fortifying systems. We won't make systems better by fortifying people. People are, they're, they're really interesting. People are the most important part of how work gets done while simultaneously the least reliable part of doing work. And so once you understand that, and it's not a problem, no one intends to say the workers are bad. You start to realize, oh, we can make this better by making the system more resilient or more robust or less brittle or stronger or whatever word you want. You can sort of insert your favorite word right there. And that, <laughs> difference well it profoundly shifted the way we started to talk about safety so how do you define safety what's your definition for safety if, if somebody came up and asked you hey you have a podcast what's the definition of safety what would you say well this is this is the big debate and i think that what there must be about 50 it or 60 debate? it is what's your definition no what's it, your definition no my my head. definition is not friends. There's not a, def- yeah, there's not a debate around my personal one. So I would say well, that's my what I, personal that's what I'm you. <laughs> my personal opinion of safety is I think safety is efficiency. I think it's being efficient with your with your, your risks. I think it's inefficient to have you know an, an unplanned events. It's inefficient to have uh incidents, whatever you want to call them. It's inefficient to to have any of that stuff, have the enforcer to come in, to be in the court, to get higher premiums. All of that stuff is poor efficiency. I think if I was to step back and look at it from a risk point of view, I think the more holistic risk to the brand and the business as well as the people, I think it's just inefficient. That's that's such an interesting definition. Good. (laughs) um, Yeah, that's really interesting because to be optimized towards efficiency um, doesn't strike me as a system that's reliable. Okay. And, and I think you would, you, you would be able to see examples of that 
from coronavirus if i'm honest you know we we've driven efficiency haven't we out of our systems and we've we've well, lost I, capacity which is what some people would say but right, or, or we never had we never had capacity right yeah, true. so i think i think what you saw was a global economy that was absolutely optimized towards efficiency towards production shareholder value all the kind of stuff that that they measure these are all really important metrics for companies right and they did that at the cost of having enough what's the word i want uh enough fudge factor mm. enough coverability enough capacity Contingency, yeah yeah. yeah that's a good word mm. they they did that at the cost of having any excess so they that, leaned out systems towards efficiency mm-hmm. because once a system gets efficient you can lean out you don't need a bunch of other people or crap or equipment and when they leaned out that system towards efficiency then when a catastrophic outcome happened like a pandemic. It's only, it's my first pandemic. So I don't have a lot of experience with this, but <laughs> when, uh, when, when the pandemic happened, there was nothing they could rely on in the system and they had to rely on the people. So look at, look at national healthcare in in the UK or look at hospitals in the United States. We both sort of share a horrific story of bad leadership, making really stupid decisions, <laughs> Right. The only thing that got us through that were nurses and doctors adaptively solving problems in real time at the coalface, at the, at the pointy end of the stick. The actual system left them high and dry. Uh, but that's, that's the point. I think, I th- from my point of view and how I view the, the efficiency piece is that if you drive something to be so efficient and you use the phrase efficient that you can't absorb a significant incident or change like a global pandemic or granted a global pandemic wasn't on anybody's radar before, but if you can't you, absorb, you, know, you, you, you use word efficiency, right? That's your, that's your word. Yeah. So, so it's in conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm back in, I'm back in my perception good, of, of good, efficiency. Good, good, good. So it, I think what, what we did before was essentially we took efficiency too far. You know, there's a difference between being efficient and running your machines or your supply lines or your people to the finest point that they can take. That's not efficiency. That that in no way is efficiency. Efficiency is 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 not running your car for years and years and years without sending it to a service, without handing it to a to a um, MOT, without having contingency plans without having breakdown cover all of that stuff is efficient it's efficient to have a plan in case that car breaks down in my opinion how we perceive okay. and operate under efficiency is is not efficient in my opinion it's how can we squeeze every penny out of what we do uh that is not efficient in my opinion that's that's different that that is squeezing a penny out of everything you can do that that's not efficient in my opinion that's not what this the dictionary says. I get that, but that's it's how a great I example it. Of, that's a great example of how words only exist in people. True. The, the word doesn't have any meaning. You give it meaning, right? And you give it different meaning than, than what, you know, a, a CEO, somebody in the C-suite would give it. But it's interesting. It's, that's a very, very interesting way to define safety. Mm. Hopefully I'll write, write a book one day and be as successful as you Todd. And then not on that, that book, that book won't, that's not going to be your book. Cause here's what I'm going to, pre- here's what I'm going to predict. You will have a new definition for safety within the next year. Yeah. 
and then probably yeah. another one five years later, do you reckon? Or maybe maybe before? not. Maybe, maybe you're, you're you'll get to a point where where I think you'll be satisfied with with kind of looking at safety as a, as a as as a benefit kind of as opposed to it's not really efficient. So efficiency is such an interesting word because of a guy named Eric Hallnagel. Do you know him? Yep. So he wrote a book called Efficiency, Thoroughness, Trade-Off. Yeah, I've not read that one yet, but I've heard a lot about it. Yeah, you probably should read it. It'd be a, it'd be a good read for you. Yeah, I might because, stop calling safety efficiency after I read that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm quite certain you, you wouldn't use the word efficiency if you read Efficiency, Thoroughness, Trade-Off. Because Hallnagel would say that operational capacity lives in the thorough side. Hmm not on the efficient side. Mm. And I will tell you that I think, I mean, this is a long conversation around this, but I think the belief that there's a difference between efficiency and thoroughness, their opposing thoughts is wrong. It's really a paradox. Companies have to be thorough, but they also have to be efficient. Mm. And so they're constantly struggling, whatever struggling means between this uh, pressure to deliver for the shareholder or whatever, however they value their product versus also being reliable and having capacity. The one thing the pandemic did, the one thing COVID-19 did for us is it was a big ugly mirror that was held up to our faces that showed us where we didn't have enough capacity. And, and organizations that, that succeed, that will succeed, that will thrive, are organizations that had enough capacity to manage this much variability. Mm. But that's not the interesting part of this discussion. The interesting part of this discussion are the nurses who made their own masks in the national healthcare system in the UK or the nurses that made their own masks in the healthcare system in the United States. That, that's really interesting because when it gets down to the brass tacks, which is a very American thing to say, <laughs> right? We counted on the workers adaptively creating the capacity we needed to not just survive but to function mm. well, that, so that, that, that's super interesting um phenomena and to to be honest sorry that was there before if i've worked in yeah, the chess for a couple of years it's, that's always been it's, there it's always there the crazy yeah. and 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 we rely on it and we have for years and years and years i mean it's always there so the crazy thing about so workers complete plans management creates plans Procedures, rules, regulations, uh, targets, goals, right? But workers then have to complete them. So they always have to adaptively complete them. And what's interesting is if you look at the healthcare, the healthcare example is really an interesting example, right? Because the workers weren't the problem. They were the solution. Yeah. And that's the shift between safety one and safety two. Mm. I would define safety, and I'll just give you kind of a, a little tiny definition for safety. Safety is not the absence of accidents, right? Because not having an accident, you don't know if you're good or lucky. Yep. Safety is the presence of capacity. Mm -hmm. So safety is not the absence of a negative. It's the presence of a positive. Yeah. Do you not think that, that that's one of the, the arguments from the safety one world then is like, well, how, how do we see that? How do we measure a presence of capacity if nothing's well, we do it all going the time. wrong, essentially? So how many eggs do you have in your refrigerator right now? Uh, we've just had a food delivery this morning. So we've currently got 12 eggs, I think. So that's pretty high capacity on eggs. Yeah. Right? So, so it's easy to measure. I mean, 
we get we get wound up around the fact that measures are summative that they they tell us what's happened which yeah. traditional safety has really leaned on summative metrics i agree yeah. and you hear I people agree. say all the time what we need is a leading metric leading when when people say leading metric two things one is they're being kind of stupid and two they don't exist leading metrics don't exist if they did we'd have them i mean we we, we would have uh, big companies like bp would have paid all the money in the world for a leading metric to not have Macondo. Mm. All the money, they would have paid billions of dollars, right? What we have to understand is that we have process use metrics and capacity is actually really easy to measure because you have 12 eggs in your refrigerator. You're not, you're not using those 12 eggs. In fact, you don't even know what those 12 eggs will be used for. Maybe, maybe you'll have a fried egg. Maybe you'll have a scrambled egg. Maybe you'll make a cake, right? I mean, all those things are possible, but you have the capacity now to do that. And that's how we measure capacity. Hmm. But this is a hard conversation because you're basically poking a sword into the heart of traditional safety, which people have held on to and truly believe has made a difference. And it probably has. If hmm. you look at it hmm. as a maturation curve that we did this, then we did this, then we did this, and now we're doing this, then it kind of makes sense that our thinking, and our philosophies around safety would mature because that's what's happening. Do, do you think you touched on an interesting point there? Do you think that part of the, the kind of argument and, and I would say argument because some of the conversations I've seen on social media are nothing short of a full on argument between safety yeah, one and stop, safety two. Stop it's, reading social media. That's my advice there. And <laughs> yeah. um, so do, do you think the problem there is that is, is that what, what you kind of said was that, you know, it, is how we talk about the way we've done it before. We don't potentially acknowledge that safety one, if we're going to use that term just for this conversation, has got us to a point where we have dramatically re- reduced the amount of people we, we've killed kill in a year. Granted, now we're on a plateau and that safety two potentially is the next step to address that plateau. Or do, do, you, do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it assumes then it's a zero sum game. Mm. right that one has to be right and the other has to be wrong i'm not sure so right and wrong is really a ethical question and i'm not sure who makes that decision but here's what i'll tell you it's really hard to change and a fundamental shift in the way we manage safety gets scary because it brings problems closer to leadership's desk not farther away from so Mm. my quick theory is and uh this is gonna be kind of a controversial podcast i like this my, like quick theory is, my quick theory is, is that the reason traditional safety is held onto is because it provides a moral separation between the company and its workers. So when an accident happens, the reason the accident happened is because the worker failed, failed to follow procedure, failed to follow directions, failed to identify the risk, failed to identify it, failed to call stop workers. Somehow the worker failed. And that's really comfortable at the leadership level because then they can say, we didn't fail as a company. This worker failed us. Mm. Well, so if you've ever done, and you've been in safety eight years, right? Yeah. So you've done a bunch of investigations. Yeah. 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 I will promise you on every investigation you've ever done, barring some kind of criminal thing, like where a guy came in and stole stuff or, or that kind of thing it's a pretty good bet that the worker didn't fail the company. Mm. The company's systems, processes, procedures, 
supply chain, right? All that's, that failed the worker. Yeah. And that is a much different way to look at safety. But that means now we're saying, hey, wait a minute. The organization is accountable, using that word carefully, for the accident. Well, most organizations don't want to be accountable. They want the, they want the train driver to be bad. They don't want the train track to be bad. Do you, do you think the, the world's ready for this stuff, though, Todd? Because, I mean, e- even now, what was it like? A, it doesn't about, matter. About, yeah, true. But, like, was it I like mean, a... We, but if as a prime example, you had the the we we had Sam Goodman, the the hot nerd. He's one of the newer podcasts come out of nowhere, and he was a great guy to have on. But we were talking about this as well, and I, and I said to him, you know, it wasn't so long ago that we had Saudi Arabia shooting down a, I think it was Saudi Arabia shoot, shooting down a, a passenger airplane, and then announcing on national international media it was human error. So granted, different countries are behind different other other countries, but the world just said it's human error and everyone went yeah cool cool human error some guy just shot down a load of people whereas all of us in the safety world are going hang on a minute we've just spent years saying that human error doesn't really exist or maybe not in a bad way or it does exist oh no and, no, and, oh, no, no 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 hold on i, I have to interrupt you so <clears throat> human error always exists yeah sorry i meant that it's, 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 not, it's the, not that human error doesn't exist it always exists the crazy thing is that error is so normal hmm. it exists all the time that um, it's really never causal. Yeah, that, that's what I meant. Sorry. No, no, I don't. Oh, please stay strong. So I'm not familiar with your example, unless you're talking about the, sh- the shoot down of the KLM plane, I think, which, right, which wasn't Saudi Arabia, but we can talk about the details. The details, uh, yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, that's fine, right? So an act of war is different than a safety problem, right? So yeah. s- sabotage is always different than an accident. And if you have sabotage in your company, that's not really the safety people's job. That's the police and senior management and attorneys and the criminal justice system taking care of sabotage. So if somebody comes in and sabotages one of your systems in order to hurt people, that's not a safety problem. Thank God that doesn't happen that much, right? That's pretty rare. What we deal with is a really good guy who's been with the company 15 years who's just trying to get the production order out before noon so he can go to a, 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 a cricket game at four o'clock. Right. Did right? You I mean, pick cricket all... just cause you're on a British podcast. No, no, I actually picked cricket because just before I was watching a TikTok video of this, like 11 year old girl right. helicopter practicing helicopter swings, oh, okay. just, knocking, just knocking the ball. I mean, this little tiny girl just was just knocking the ball miles and every time every time they bowled she hit it hard so anyway that's that was in my mind i thought you were trying um, to be accommodating for for a british podcast and pick a a, so there's no american on earth that would ever use cricket as an example because nobody really (laughs) understands like i don't have a clue what cricket is although i watched i watched the 2020 in in melbourne Hmm. um is that what it's called the 2020 yeah well there's 2020 and then there's the other form of i'm not massive huge advocate of it i couldn't tell you a friend of mine would be kicking me right now but there's two types isn't there you've got the traditional well, the, is the short one yeah yeah you've got the traditional that, cricket that will go over like five days or something crazy like that yeah yeah, yeah. i don't have it i don't have that in me and the 2020 is over like in 30 minutes yeah or, yeah something know, crazy pretty like that. quick maybe it's in 20 minutes maybe that's where the name comes from but anyway 
that challenge of understanding safety is a part of the journey you're on. So you're in a really great place. You're perfectly situated for where you should be. But the crazy thing is those challenges, those ideas will become more and more clear the more you think about and ponder and argue and discuss these ideas. And it'll all come back around to this. People are not the problem. They're, they're, they're not the problem. Mm. In, the, in the National Health Service, the people aren't the problem. Mm. The absence of funding, the dramatic amount of pressure that's on them, the reduced facilities. I mean, you worked in this industry, you know, right? The people aren't the problem. So asking people to be more careful. Doesn't work. Well, it's kind of dumb. I mean, mm. because the assumption is, is they aren't careful enough, but people are as careful as they need to be right? I, I'm never going to waste my careful. I'll only be as careful as I need to be. And I never need to be overly careful because being overly careful doesn't buy me anything. And that's your notion of efficiency, mm. right? So I'm only going to be just as careful as I need to be. Mm. Well, it's interesting. We're seeing it live, aren't we? Or we have seen it live over the last couple of months where you've got doctors and nurses that are working without the the required PPE that's given guidance from the government. This is what you should wear. Then and they haven't got it, or they're wearing it not not great, or they're not wearing it quite quite correct, or something like that. And the safety industry, I think, or what I've seen, I said, oh, you know, you need to face face fit test everything, and and they're right. Legislation says, and the guidance says, you you must need a face fit test for respiratory protective equipment. But it's like. But how are we? How, do we have the capacity to actually deliver face fit testing? In and this, your question, right? Exactly. So surely there's got so the, to be that flexibility to be able to say, "Well, right. this is an emergency situation, so something's got to give." Right. And an emergency there? situation, an emergency situation rules always go away. We've seen that. That's been a really interesting part of the COVID thing. Yeah. But you've actually introduced two different problems. So if you were investigating this, you'd have to separate these problems out. One is a problem of availability. So nurses and doctors can't wear an N95 mask if there are no N95 masks to wear, mm-hmm. right? So the second problem, which is very different, is nurses and doctors that are wearing N95 masks incorrectly. Actually, that's a problem we can fix, but that's, they're only wearing them incorrectly because we haven't taken the time to either do fit tests, fit training, you know, I mean, You have to look beyond that nurse and doctor. The nurse and doctor are interesting and important, but in either example you gave me, I wouldn't say they were the problem. No. So not having enough masks is just ridiculous. Mm. It's just ridiculous. I mean, you're in one of the richest countries in the world and they can't get enough masks for doctors to not get COVID-19. It is just. What the hell? I mean, what the hell? We but don't. if they don't wear them, if they don't wear them properly, then that's actually really important data for us. And we can say, okay, well, how do we train? How do we do fit tests? What's the availability? Like, and you're right. What you're going to find, my guess, I'll just make this up because we're making up crap. My <laughs> guess is you're going to find that we don't have enough people to train all the doctors, and we haven't taken the time because it's really not been a problem. We definitely train people who work in infectious medicine. They know because they count on it. But in COVID-19, we brought in lots and lots of people who don't work in infectious medicine, who now are forced to be in this high-risk environment, 
and they haven't had the experience, the background, the training, the, the fit test to actually use the equipment correctly. But because it's an emergency, we need the doctor more than we need to ensure the doctor's safety. Mm. So in a, in a way, I suppose that, that from what, from what I kind of thinking out loud, it's kind of a beautiful definition of capacity is, is it prior to coronavirus, we didn't have the capacity to, to be able to have everybody wearing uh, a face, face fitted RPE. So if we were to have capacity, it would have been in, in, I'm again, thinking out loud, but if we were to have capacity, it would have been like, well, let's, let's look to get not just the people that work in infectious uh, diseases or infectious kind of medicine, let's get to look, look to get 50% of the hospital trained or, or 50% of the hospital as trainers as that kind of stuff. Therefore, we've got the capacity if something goes wrong. So what do you think? That is uh, just a tidbit of the conversation. The whole conversation will be on James's podcast, Rebranding Safety. I just cut out what I thought was the most interesting part. You know, the part where I talk about cricket, something I know zero. I mean, if you, if, if you took a vacuum pump, you could not measure how little I know about cricket. That's that. So I left that in because, you know, why not? It's some I don't know anything about, but it was a really interesting conversation. I liked it very much. I actually think, uh, I have not met James until this, uh, encounter. I think I like him. I mean, I'm, it was really fun. What a nice guy and, and interesting and charming and, uh, and on the journey, but we're all on the damn journey. The journey is a part of what we do. Take care of yourself. You guys, um, there's a little bit of chronic crisis fatigue going on and you're seeing it everywhere. I guess we'd call it risk homeostasis, but whatever it is, it's, we're tired of this until then, my friends, Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other, will you? And for goodness sakes, be safe.